Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. Except we finished the Bible, so now we're talking about the stories that seem like they should be in the Bible but simply aren't. My name is Nico Bakulich. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And let's get biblical. Let's get biblical. We have some rules first, such as not a Christian Bible study podcast, not appropriate for children. I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I taught Sunday school. I sang in the youth group worship band. I am now an atheist. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. Lauren, Yes. simply what story are we simply talking it's about simply tonight? simply the apocalypse of Abraham. Apocalypse of Abraham? That's not in the Bible? Nope. It seems like it should be because it's written about Abraham, mm-hmm. a and very important character in the Bible. All over the Bible. In fact, it purports to be written by Abraham himself. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Oh, you want me to actually guess? Yeah. I think it's probably not. You're right. How'd you guess? I used my brain muscle to clench like a fleshy... Like so many buttocks. ...headbutt. Yeah. Uh, Well, your brain butt did some great work. Would you like to hear some fast facts about the apocryphal book, The Apocalypse of Abraham? Yes, I'd like to. Okay. So, it's a Jewish text, probably originally written in Hebrew. But probably after the destruction of the Second Temple, which was in 70 AD, so after Jesus' time, shortly after. The only surviving manuscript we have is in Old Slavonic. Old Slavonian. Which is a kind of a precursor to Russian and other Slavic languages. It still kind of survives today in some Eastern Orthodox churches where it's used in... In liturgies, you know, kind of like doing a mass in Latin. In fact, one of its other names is Old Church Slavonic. Yes. Another one so, of its names is Paleoslavic. Paleoslavic. So now they use, I guess, New Church Slavonic mm-hmm. in the in the churches where they still use it. But it's related. Um, and this book was preserved in a text called the Tolkovaya Palea, which was a collection of Old Testament texts and commentaries that was popular in medieval Russia before, like, the Bible as, like, the canonical Bible was translated into a language that hmm. Russians could understand. Mm-hmm. So it has some variations from what eventually became the accepted canonical Bible. Included in the variations, of course, is this strange thing. Yes. So basically how these these texts were made is that you'd have these, like, medieval Russian monks making pilgrimages to Constantinople or to Jerusalem And, you know, they would see these texts that people had there. They would translate them into Slavonic and they would bring them back to Russia. And there was no kind of like vetting process. It was just like, hey, whatever they got, saw a cool text in Constantinople. I translated it and here it is. Here's a quote about the Palea or uh, there's there's multiple Paleas from G.H. Box, who was a lecturer at King's College in London. 100 years ago, 1919, he wrote this kind of explication of the Apocalypse of Abraham uh, for the Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Not worrying Um, at all. But he says, to his credit, um, he says, the Pelea draws richly upon the Jewish Midrashic literature and then uses the material as an argument against the Jews from whom it was borrowed. Mm -hmm. So this is the only there's, I guess, like a couple different translations in Old Slavonic that uh, survived. So there's a couple of versions, but um, there's lots of early Christian texts that talk about a book called The Apocalypse of Abraham, and they denounce it as heretical and Gnostic and evil. So that might be the same book. It might not. It's impossible to know. Um, And of course, apocalypse is the Greek word for revelation. We use it to mean like the end of the world now because of the book of Revelation in the regular canonical Bible. But in a biblical context, it actually means that, you know, like some angel or someone's going to come down and give the narrator a revelation about God or the future or, you know, how the universe works. Our narrator here is Abraham, Mm -hmm. and he's speaking in the first person. Now, in the regular canonical Bible, Abraham is like the first Jew. It's not... Judaism yet because there is no kingdom of Judah yet and in fact the guy there are no Judah, Jews yet. Yeah. The guy Judah hasn't been born. Um but he's like, you know, the first monotheist. And 
his father Terah worshipped idols, but Abraham realized there was only one God, and he struck out on his own, and then, you know, God makes a covenant with him, and that's how the whole monotheism train gets rolling. And that is why Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are all called Abrahamic religions, because it all comes from this, like, monotheistic source. So that's the regular canonical Bible. Shall we dive into chapter one of this very non-canonical Apocalypse of Abraham. No, I want to dip my toe in and then quickly push you. What? That's so rude. It's rude, but it's cool. Okay. So uh, in chapter one, we start out in the first person. Abraham is telling his own story. Uh, he calls himself Abraham, even though at this point he should still he should be, be Abram. Abram, right? Yeah. Um, and he's talking about, you know, one day when it was his turn to do like the sacrifices for his family's idols. And he goes into the the idol shack and he finds a god made of stone named Marumoth mm-hmm. has fallen at the feet of a god made of iron called Nahin. But Marumoth is made of stone, so he's very heavy and Abraham can't lift him up to put him back in his place. So he calls his dad Tara in and together they lift Marumoth back into place. But in the process, sadly, his head falls off. We've all been there. You're simply picking up a family idol. You think nobody's ever going to find out, but you accidentally crack his head right off. The head just comes right off. So Tara takes a new stone, and he chisels a new marmoth, and he smashes the old marmoth. But what's weird is that the new marmoth also doesn't have a head? Well, he, he he smashes the new one so that he can put the head from the old one onto the body of the new one. Oh, I see. Okay. Which seems a totally unnecessary step, right? I thought it was just like to pretend that nothing weird happened and it would just be like, oh, yeah, like Marmoth never had a head. <laughs> That's just how this god is. He's headless. It's it's quirky. No, no, no. He, he puts it on the new body. Got it, got it, got it. But it does say specifically that he builds an entire new one, Without smashes head. the head off. Yeah. Um, then Tara carves five more idols. Was Tara, so in the actual Bible, Tara wasn't like an expert idol carver, right? I don't think it specifies. I could be wrong, but I think it just says like Tara worshipped idols and so Abraham yeah, left. That's what I that's what I think as well. But in this one, he's like a professional idol maker. Yeah, that's that's his profession. Yeah. Um so he carves these five more idols and he tells Abraham to go sell them. Abraham saddles up the family ass. His father's ass. (laughs) The family was so poor that they had to share one ass. Uh, And he takes the idols to market. Along the way, he meets some Syrian merchants on their way to buy coconeal in Egypt. Mm -hmm. I tried to look up coconeal. Do not know what it is. It's a crocodile. It's a crocodile? Yeah, that crazy I thought it was my cousin, Coke (laughs) O'Neal. So they're on their way to Egypt. But one of their camels, they're riding camels, and one of the camels screams. Mm -hmm. That's what it says. It says the camel screamed, and this frightens Abraham's ass, which runs away and in the process breaks three of the five idols. Inexplicably, the Syrians then offer to buy all the idols. I love this because the Syrians are like, yo, boy, why didn't you tell me you were carrying gods around? Yeah, holy artifacts. If you just told us, we would have bought the whole stack. Um, and, And so they pay for all of them. Um, you know, presumably because of some superstition, like it's bad to not pay for broken idols or something. I don't know. Like that God's going to curse you. But they only take the two working ones. Yes. And And Abraham takes the broken ones and dumps them in the river to hide his shame. (laughs) Which is like, you can really, with these old idol based gods, you can really get away with a lot. I love it. You can. They're very convenient in that way. Because you, you worship them, but then like, hey, if you accidentally crack the head off one, you, you just can make just, a new one. You can just rebuild it. Um, so then as Abraham is riding home, he starts thinking, well, if these gods are so powerful, how come they're constantly breaking and smashing and vulnerable to screaming camels? And if and doesn't this make my father the god of gods because right. he he's, made them? He's creating them, not vice versa. So he gets home. He gives Tara the money from selling the idols and he tells him his crazy new theory. And he's like, Dad, listen, these gods keep just smashing and exploding. (laughs) And I feel like they may not actually be that powerful because like, like, how are they going to protect us when they can't even protect themselves from just constantly falling and smashing? Um, But his dad just 
gets mad at his blasphemy. So it's later that day. Um, Tara is rich with the silver that Abram has brought back with his uh, his godly earnings. Yes. And it is that time of day that we all know and love, such as lunchtime. Colloquially called lunch. <laughs> and Abram's job is to, like, make dinner. Or, yeah, or I don't whatever. know why he has to cook. It's interesting. Anyway, so he assigns, uh, he finds, a, first of all, it says he finds a tiny little idol named Named Barisat. Barisat. Yeah. Barisat. Barisat. Yep. And this is an idol made of wood. Mm -hmm. And so he like, he gets the fire going to cook. And then he has to go like ask his dad what he wants for lunch or something. So he assigns uh, Barisat to watch the fire while he's gone. Yeah. Just like, don't make sure it doesn't go out. He like gives Barisat instructions. He's Mm -hmm. like, if the fire starts to go out, like blow on it. Yeah. (laughs) And when he comes back. Barisat has fallen over and has started burning. Yes. Added extra kindling to the to the flame. And uh, Abraham thinks this is hilarious because it is. Did you did you write down this exact quote? Uh, Read it. And it came to pass when I saw it. I laughed and said to myself, Barisat, truly, you know how to light a fire and cook food. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so apparently they have never cooked with high heat before because this makes an incredible launch. Tara loves it. And then, he's like, praise God for these, or praise uh, Marumoth, he says, yeah. for these beautiful hot dogs. And he says, actually, you should thank your little buddy Berusak because he was the one who fell over and got burnt up in the fire. Yeah, he, like, he sacrificed himself just so you could have this one to meal. To make a tastier lunch. Yeah. And Tara is like, wow, that's amazing. Bless us. We're, we're, I'm going to make another one for lunch tomorrow. Yeah, he's like, great is the power of Berusak. <laughs> Like, Even though we could just have charcoal, you know, like you don't need to carve him. Also, like maybe stop making these statues so top heavy <laughs> because all they do is fall over. That's his aesthetic style, my dear. And Abraham's like, Dad, this is dumb. Like, why are you worshiping something that you make by hand and that can be easily destroyed, as we've seen five times today alone? <laughs> um, and then he's like, at least. Make the idols out of gold and silver. Right. Like my brother Nahor, who is also, I guess, an, an, an idol, idol maker. maker by trade. This is the family business. He made the gods Zucaeus and Eoav mm-hmm. out of gold and silver. So at least they're worth more money. And if they fall over and break, you can melt them down and remold them. Um, what I'm thinking is I haven't heard anything about Nahor's statues toppling mm-hmm. and well the he's the next generation he's probably refined his father's technique yeah he's figured out that you should put the weight on the bottom of the statue <laughs> and abraham says like think about how powerful fire and water and earth are and the sun and the moon and the stars but we don't call them gods or goddesses so why do we call these bizarrely fragile statues gods and goddesses so this know? is a really interesting passage these two these two chapters where abraham basically explains to his dad why idols are are not god because he runs down a list. He's like, maybe we could worship fire, except, you know, fire can be put out by water. Maybe we should worship the earth, except it can be destroyed by wind and blown away or whatever. It's like a rock, paper, scissors situation. Yeah. And he's like, so none of those things can be the God because they can all be countered in some way. So we need to find the God that made the sun and God that made the stars and whatever. Yeah. And he's a bunch like, of this is di- is directly from Midrash. Oh, interesting. Um, although portions of chapter seven are likely a later interpolation, mm. specifically the parts that sound very Greek. That, that are, like, very philosophizy. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Like, the stuff about water beats fire. And, mm-hmm. That and kind of stuff. Earth beats water. Yeah, because this was originally, like, written by uh, either a Hebrew-speaking person in Palestine or an Aramaic-speaking person. Um, apparently, lots of the puns and, like, sarcastic asides require knowledge of, like, Semitic names yeah, and how they're pronounced. I guess, I guess the the gods aren't actually gods that anybody worshipped historically you know they're, they're like, not like asherah they're apparently like pun names they're just like puns yeah that's what i read too um so anyway some of this stuff that's all very philosophical about like the nature of fire and the nature of earth and was whatever uh was inserted later that's interesting that makes sense so one day as abraham is is pondering this the real god came down from the heavens in a stream of fire and he's like you know it's me the one true real god guess what you're right idols are bad your dad is sinning real bad and you need to leave his house so you don't get punished for it and as soon as abraham leaves the house there's a great thundering and the house is instantly burned down along with everyone and everything in it 
Uh, Seems pretty harsh to just like be like, hey, you got to get out of the house right now. Yeah. And he's like, why? He's like, I'm the true God. You should follow me. And he's like, okay. Gets out of the house and, and then, then he blows <gasps> up his fucking house and, he doesn't and kills even, his dad right behind him. And his brother and everybody. Mm. And he doesn't even, he doesn't even give him any time to like absorb this. He's just like, okay, so now you got to, you can't dead. eat. You belong to me now. And you got to do this fast for 40 days. You can't eat cooked food or drink wine. And you have to do this particular sacrifice. And then if you do all that, then I will give you this magical revelation so yeah god gives him a very specific sacrifice which it's something we should be familiar with from the old testament including a classic list of animals to bring to the sacro yes <laughs> um you got a three-year-old heifer a three-year-old she-goat a three-year-old ram a turtle dove and a pigeon and a pigeon classic stuff and abraham you know he falls to the ground in shock naturally and and he's like you know i looked around for a voice and there was nobody there it was just a disembodied voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, of course, very shocking. So he <laughs> falls to the ground. Um, and then God decides to send down an angel as an emissary to, you know, to talk to him. As we've seen, this is one of the main purposes of angels. You know, humans can interact with them without, like, losing their fucking minds. Right. This angel is named Yahoel, mm-hmm. which is... If I may scuttle into the etymology corner. Ye may. Uh, thank you. It's it's two Hebrew words that mean God. So as we've seen, you know, as we've discussed in our recent angel-focused episodes, angels usually have L at the end of their names because it means God. So, you know, like Michael is like Michael mm-hmm. and there's like Raphael, et cetera, et cetera. And then Yah or Jah or Yahu or Ayah, that's derived from Yahweh. And that also means God, as in, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu, his last name means gift from God. Or, you know, like Jeremiah in Hebrew is Yirmiyahu, you know, Isaiah's Yishayahu or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this, this name basically means God of God. Right. So we're talking like a real angel of the presence this is here. A, this is a top-level angel. In fact, the Jewish Encyclopedia suggests that this is... Uh, an example of the move towards the, the creation of Metatron as a yes. as an angelological concept. Yeah, because he does well. He's got that classic angel look, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know sapphire body, mm-hmm. uh, chrysolite face. You know when she's got that sapphire that body, sapphire body, but that chrysolite face. <laughs> he has a kadaris on his head, which is a turban. Oh, when I looked it up, it said a royal tiara of the ancient Persian kings. Regardless, he has some sort of, you know, fancy headwear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he he kind of recites his name, his uh, resume, his resume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And his all, resume is really good. All the powers that he has, which includes my favorite one is like he keeps the cherubim from fighting with each other. Yeah, that's a big feature of this particular <laughs> revelation, which we haven't heard a lot yeah, about before. Um, he's also in charge of holding the Leviathans because through me is subjugated the attack and menace of every reptile. Yeah, so these are the, like they're the kind of powers that we've seen attributed to Michael or Metatron mm-hmm. uh, in our past episodes on angels. So basically, like as we'll later learn, later learn, he's also the choir master of heaven. Yes, so he's like the top angel, right? Basically, um, and you know he's like, okay, I'm here to reward you for rejecting idolatry and following the one true God. So, which is so intense because he just sort of like stepped outside. Yeah, that's true. Because he's heard somebody talking to him. Well, he was he was pondering. He oh, he was pondering. But, and you know, he said he said some stuff to his dad. I just think that standing up to that level of like casual idolatry does that. I guess that earns you a trip to heaven in this in this day. And well, age. if you're the first one, if you're the first one to figure it out, I guess. So Yahweh hangs out with Abraham while he does this 40-day fast thing. And then they go up to Mount Horeb, a.k.a. Mount Sinai, which is where the Ten Commandments will one day be given to Moses. And that's where Noah lands after the flood, right? No, he lands on Mount Ararat. Oh, you're right. Fudge. Got my mounts mixed up. There's a couple mounts. Oh, during the fast, it says the presence of the angel is enough to sustain Abraham. Mm -hmm. So he's just drinking them in with his Mm -hmm. damn eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get to the top of the mountain to do the, the sacrifices. Now, this part is super dumb because... <laughs> wow. Well, let me just say, I'm, I just think it's dumb. Because apparently, so this is the first time anybody has ever made a sacrifice to El, this uh-huh. particular god. Yes. So it's natural that Abraham doesn't know what to do. But he shows up without any damn animals. 
And I'm like, well, I know he's got 40 days to figure this shit out. Yeah, well, he was following the angel's lead. He was following Yahuwah's lead. And Yahuwah was just like, okay, let's go up to the top of the mountain. And then Abraham's like, okay, but where are we going to get the animals? And then he turns around and the animals are all there because Yahuwah provided. I, it seems, I guess it's for the first time you got to have the training wheels on. Just feels like kind of a cop out to me. Wow. Look, this is a man who's going to sacrifice his only son later. Well, mm-hmm. his his second son. His only his only good son. <laughs> well, so yeah, this is how he gets a taste for blood, I guess. <laughs> so he follows Yahuel's instructions and he slaughters and cuts in half a calf, she goat and ram. And then he's also got the turtle dove and the pigeon, but he doesn't slaughter them. Now, at this point, unfortunately, an unclean bird does arrive. And <laughs> the unclean bird, unfortunately, does have the power of human speech. Mm-hmm. And it tells Abraham... It's a regular... What was the one with the with the racist buzzards? What was that cartoon? Do you remember that one? Uh, Jungle Book? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no. Dumbo. Dumbo, Dumbo has the, the racist crows because it's like Jim Crow. Right. Uh, in Jungle Book, the vultures are inexplicably the Beatles. <laughs> right, <laughs> have, right, right. They have liver puddly in accents and go. like mop top bowl cuts. <laughs> Love it. Uh, anyway, this unclean bird tells Abraham, you know, like, you got to run away. Like, you're too high up. You're in a holy place and you're just a mere Such mortal. unconvincing tempting by this particular unclean bird. And then Yahuel is like, this unclean bird is Azazel. And of course, as we know from previous episodes, Azazel is an evil angel, you know, a.k.a. Satan. Uh, in modern Hebrew, to say, damn it, you still say Lazazel. And Yahuwah's like, you know, like, fuck you. Hey, Yahuwah says, use these magic words to send this, send this bench scurrying. Yeah. And he says, uh, say to him, may you be the firebrand of the furnace of the earth. Go, Azazel, into the untrodden parts of the earth, for your heritage is over those who are with you, with the stars and with the men born by the clouds, whose portion you are... Indeed, they exist through your being, which is a very structural curse. You know, it's not very specific, but... Well, it's very... It's theologically complicated. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he's like, oh, the world only exists because of you. Like, the world is fallen and wicked. That's your domain. But, like, that's a little weird. So the earth, like, isn't God's creation? It's like God's... You know? That's an example of dualism. Yeah. Specifically, the dualism espoused by the Bogomillions. The what? Or the bo- Bogomillists. The the buy one, get one millions? <laughs> That's right. What are they? So Bogomil was like a rogue priest in the 10th century in what is now modern day Macedonia or North Macedonia. Okay. And he was like this radical anti-church guy who started a, a pretty long-lived and reasonably successful sort of neo-gnostic sect of christianity okay yeah i did read like when i was reading my uh my gh box text Mm -hmm. from 1990 and it talked about the the dualism was like you could kind of read it as gnostic it it probably like was related to gnosticism in some way so bogomil picked up concepts from both gnosticism as it as they sort of conceived of it then Uh uh-huh because it's like a few centuries after gnosticism had already died yeah uh, but also from Manichaeism. Oh, boy. Um, and from something called Paulicianism, which was another sort of radical anti-church sect that grew and died in the, like, five to eight hundreds or something along those lines. Okay. In in Eastern Europe. Uh, anyway, Bogomil was reasonably successful for one of these crazy sects. But one of the big things they did was lots of old Slavonic translation and preservation of these of these texts especially the ones that they thought were important to their gnostic or dualist point of view dualism being the concept that like in zoroastrianism there are two things in charge of everything you know there's like a good side and a bad side to everything Mm -hmm. it's not like god is only good like and he's the most powerful thing and he's he's at the top that's not a dualist idea the dualist idea is that god is in charge of heaven and satan is in charge of earth okay and they're constantly at war with each other okay and that it's like balanced essentially so this idea that the the things of azazel the the people of azazel the world of azazel is this one is the like fallen earth or whatever it's a very dualist idea and a possible later interpolation hmm. by those damn bogomilists <laughs> Bogomillions. Bogomillions? The show Billions is actually short for Bogomillions. <laughs> Buy one, get one millions, yeah. 
So there um, you go. Okay. Those, those are the boga meals. Okay. So, well, that's interesting because it does mention that Azazel, it like mentions the fall of mm-hmm. Satan, right? He's like, you used to be in heaven, but now... See that's that's we kicked you out. probably from Midrash, yeah, and from and from uh, the Targum and stuff that that explicitly lays out his origin story. Well, okay, so yeah, so Abraham recites these these words that Yahweh tells him to, and uh, Azazel fucks off, and then this is where we get into the apocalypse. Right, this is the revelation text part. Yeah. Yes, because Abraham does the sacrifice; he sacrifices the animals. Um, except for the pigeon and the turtle dove. And then he and Yahuel ride the pigeon and turtle dove up into the firmament. I like that. I like that they couldn't just split a bird, you know? Well, it specifically says one gets on the left wing of the pigeon and one gets on the right wing of the turtle dove, Mm -hmm. which also seems aerodynamically suboptimal. I think it's supposed to be symbolic. You don't say. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to really crack the code. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so we're we're up in the sky. We're in Magic Vision Land, <laughs> and the first thing that Abraham sees is a vision of like fire, like hellfire, mm-hmm. with people changing in aspect and shape, running and changing form, and prostrating themselves and crying words I did not know. That's the holy host he's seeing, and he's like, "What?" why am I here? I'm going to like die. I don't like this. Yeah. He says like as stuff starts to get more holy and more powerful, it says his spirit starts to fade as he starts to think like, no, this is, I am, this is not for yeah, me. This is not for a mortal human. Enoch had a similar, uh, a similar feeling upon being shown heaven for the first time. Yes. And, and Yahuwah is like, no, just like, you're fine. Just stick with me. You're going to be a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to go meet God. And indeed, behold the, the fire! Derby, right? <laughs> <laughs> behold the fire coming toward us round about, and a voice was in the fire like a voice of many waters, like the voice of the sea in its uproar. And the angel knelt down with me and worshipped. And he said, "Only worship Abraham and recite the song which I taught you." So again, Abraham starts reciting this song. The song it's, is very beautiful. It's it's weird. It's very strange. It it starts out well. Most of it is like you'd expect. You know, it's like uh, Eternal Mighty One, Holy L, God Autocrat, Self-Originate, uh, Incorruptible, Immaculate, Unbegotten, Love of Men, Benevolent, Compassionate, Bountiful. But then there's this one part in the middle where it goes, Most Glorious L, 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 Yahuel, yeah. which I feel like is kind of like saying someone else's name during sex, but no one else seems to really notice. So, Well, whatever. that's, I think, part of the reason they point to Yahuel maybe. Being he's sort like, of like Metatron, yeah, he's like, like the second god. Kind of being, being like a combination of two of his names is like a way to obscure his name. Yeah, and as Abraham is reciting this song, who should he see but some ding dang living creatures, aka holy chayot, with you know the four faces of a lion, ox, eagle, and man, six wings, two covering their face and two covering their quote unquote feet, and baby. You better believe they're covered in eyes. <laughs> so this is this is a really good and straightforward description of these angels. Because it's you, like... You think? I, I think so. I mean, like, it's it's very consistent with a lot of the other literature, but it, uh, it doesn't assume anything about our knowledge of what angels are supposed to look like, if you know what I'm saying. You think? I think it's just like, look, I've read Ezekiel, you've read Ezekiel, these are what angels look like. Uh, but it does describe them pretty well. It does also have the wheels within wheels, mm-hmm. aka Ophanim. God's flying on a fiery throne, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. But before starting the actual revelation portion of it and getting to the apocalypse and whatnot, I think we should take a quick break. You're going to hear some music, and then we'll be back in about a minute. Good luck and bless you. Godspeed. Bye bye.
Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And we're talking about the Apocalypse of Abraham. And we're about to get into the Apocalypse slash Revelation itself. Where we left off, our hero had just met the elusive God <laughs> in his lair. character. Uh, and God says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. That happens actually like multiple times throughout mm-hmm. the book. First, Abraham, Abraham, Abe me a ham. <laughs> Abe me a ham as raw as you can. Okay. Uh, God says, uh, look at the expanses under the firmament and see that there are no other gods but me. And so this part I found quite confusing. It does get so pretty confusing. I had, to, I had to read it a couple of times to figure out what the shit was going on. I did too, and I suspect I still have some things wrong. But basically, so he's he's up in the eighth firmament. The highest. The highest one. You call it the eighth heaven, mm-hmm. I guess. And so then he looks down on the seventh heaven um, and sees angels. And then the sixth firmament has different types of angels. And then the fifth firmament has the stars. Uh, and God tells him his descendants will be as numerous as the stars, which is from the regular canonical Bible. Way to tie it into material we're already familiar yes. with. Yes. Um, then he keeps, you know, uh, looking at lower and lower firmaments and he sees, you know, the earth and humans and the sea and the fish and the Leviathan. That's Leviathan a, lives. It's a big off, character in this book for some reason. Leviathan in this version lives in his own other segment of the world. Yeah, he has beyond his own. The, beyond the reaches of the world, he has his own dominion and his own creatures that live there. his own thing going on. Which I love. You know, spin off. Call me. <laughs> Need a writer. Um, He notices... A great crowd of men and women and children, half of them on the right side of the portrayal and half of them on the left side of the portrayal. So God is showing him this, like, they have gotten all the way down to Earth. And he's showing him this, like, diorama of of Earth so that he of can... humanity. Yeah, so that he can explain what's going to happen to all the people in the world. And Abraham says, Eternal Mighty One, what is this picture of creation? And God says, like, this is my big plan. First of all, it's all predestined and the Presbyterians are correct. (laughs) Second of all, the people on the left are people that have existed up until now, plus some people from the future uh, who are not your descendants. Right. And the people on the right are your descendants who are my chosen people. Yeah. So sons of my left hand, sons of my right hand. Heathens to the left, Jews to the right. Haters also on the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Mm -hmm. And... Then God is like, um, hey, why don't you take a little look at the Garden of Eden and tell me what you see? And Abraham looks and he sees a man very great in height and terrible in breadth, incomparable in aspect, entwined with a woman who was also equal to the man in aspect and size. And between them is a dragon with human hands and feet and 12 wings, and he's feeding grapes to the gigantic humans i love this version of adam and me yeah abraham is like first of all what the fuck and god is like that's adam and eve and they're monstrously huge for some reason you would know about this if you had read the torah which does not exist yet and uh and that's azazel feeding them some sinful grapes and then abraham's like well why did you let azazel go down there if you're all powerful and God is like, well, I gave him dominion over evildoers. And then Abraham is like, well, why did you even let evil exist? And then God sidesteps the question. Yeah, God definitely <laughs> waves it off. He's like, why don't you look at the next and slide? And he's like, yeah, take a, take a closer look. And then Abraham takes a closer look. And and with Adam and Eve, he sees Cain who murdered Abel. Mm-hmm. And he sees fornication and theft and Naked men forehead to forehead, whatever that means. That should be for skin to forehead. Oh, my God. And then he sees a man worshiping a copper idol and boys being slaughtered on an altar to the idol. And he's like, what's that? And God gives a very perplexing answer. This part is also extremely confusing. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's what I gather. We can compare interpretations here. Um God is basically like, this is my, well, he says, this is my idea of the priesthood of the name of my glory. And the body you saw is my anger because Abraham's descendants, you know, the chosen people will, quote, make me angry. Mm -hmm. And the person making the sacrifice is, quote, he who angers me. And the boy being sacrificed is, quote, those who are for me a testimony of the judgment of the completion at the beginning 
of creation. So I'm unclear if that means the people being sacrificed are people who obey God and they're they're getting a rough deal. And it's like, well, you're the chosen people, but you're always going to suffer. Or if they're supposed to be people who are even worse than the chosen but angering people and the chosen people are winning by sacrificing them. No, I think it's more like the former than the latter. He's showing him this vision of the people sacrificing kids to at an altar and it's their Jews doing it. it it's like the evil people who have corrupted the priesthood sacrificing good Jews at an altar to like jealousy or to venality or to like some bad thing okay so I think I think it's an example of how the priesthood will like be- eventually betray God okay. leading to the destruction of the first temple okay um then as Abraham watches the image begins to sway and he sees so you know we've got we've got it uh split into two halves right on yeah. and on the left are the heathens on the right are the Jews it's a complicated presentation that it God is, is giving, right? yeah it is and Abraham sees a crowd of heathens run out from the left half of the image and run over to the right side where they start killing people and burning the temple and plundering the holy items. So uh, like a very clear reference to the destruction of the first and or second temple since Mm -hmm. this is probably written after the destruction of the second temple. I mean, if it's written just after that, if it's going to be big in people's minds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and God is like, you know, all this is going to happen because of your descendants, because they're going to piss me off so much that I'm going to have to punish them. Um, the exact quote here is, listen, Abraham, all that you have seen will happen on account of your seed who will continually provoke me. (laughs) So this is insane. This whole passage is insane because Abraham asks really good questions. Mm -hmm. Like, Like, why do you even allow evil? Right. Or like, so if you know that this is going to happen, why pick my seed? Or like... Is there not a way to prevent this? Yeah, he says, please give them some commandments. I know, right? (laughs) Well, he's like, I'm going to give them commandments, but they're going to ignore them. Right. Yeah. Um, Then he says, God says some very like revelation style stuff about uh, ascents in the translation that I read, uh, which are like eras or ages or whatever. Yes. um, Very revelations like dividing the periods of time into arbitrary units yes and the fourth ascent is 100 years and one hour of the age will also be 100 years in evil among the heathen there was a lot of this and in an Enoch, hour right? in their mercy even with reproaches as among the heathens and i decreed to keep 12 periods of the impious age among the heathens and among your seed and what you have seen will be until the end of time great thanks god thanks really illuminating things for me that, a, there was a lot of that stuff in enoch right um yeah and also in revelation yeah um, yeah, it reminds me the most of Revelation. Mm. So now now we're in chapter 29, and uh, this is where we get into some even weirder shit, and this is also possibly added later. Some of it, yes. Yeah. Probably. So what happens is, this guy runs out from the left side, the heathen side, and some other people from the heathen side run out and worship him, and then... People from the Jewish side run out and some worship him, but some insult him and beat him. And then Azazel runs out and worships him. It kisses him on the cheek. And then God says that that guy who ran out in the middle, who some people worshipped and some people insulted and beat, that guy is, quote, a man from your tribe, Abraham's tribe, who God is going to call And many of the heathens will trust in him, while many of Abraham's descendants will be offended. And he'll test them in the 12th hour. Not even the 11th hour, the 12th hour. Yeah, I guess so. This is the very end of time. Does the array start at zero or not? And God is going to judge everyone who worships this guy, and it's bad to worship him. And he's going to destroy them and bring 10 plagues upon them. And as we reach this point of the story, it's starting to wrap up, so we start lowering abraham back down to earth um as we recite the 10 plagues would you like and would you like to hear the plagues because i think it's a good poem sure go for it okay the first sorrow from much need the second fiery conflagrations for the cities the third destruction by pestilence among the cattle the fourth famine of the world of their generation the fifth among the rulers destruction by earthquake in the sword the sixth increase of hail and snow the seventh Wild beasts will be their grave. The eighth, 
pestilence and hunger will change their destruction. The ninth, execution by the sword and flight and distress. And the tenth, thunder, voices, and destroying earthquakes. And then God just uh, wraps up just by basically saying that one day, long after Abraham, he's going to end the world and destroy all the heathens whom he only created to be the contents of a wormy belly, <laughs> i.e. the belly of Azazel. And then the descendants of Abraham will rule the world and they will, quote, enslave and oppress the heathens, which is a good thing. So this man who runs out in the middle, mm-hmm. who is he? Who that? So there are a couple of interesting things about that portion. Yeah. From my perspective, like from my extremely like Christian saturated perspective, it seems like this guy is Jesus or perhaps another messiah figure since there were there were lots of people claiming to be the messiah around this time in history uh and that like this text seems to be saying like oh yeah this like this false messiah is going to come and the heathens are going to worship him and some of the jews will even worship him but actually he's bad and he's false and uh if you worship him you're going to get these 10 plagues from the research i did it seems like there's really there's no particular reason to read it in that way. Like that, there's lots of different interpretations and that seems to be an unlikely one. It's just the one that comes to mind if you live in a Christian society and right. you were raised Christian and everything ties back to Jesus in like all the mythology that you've been taught. Yeah. In the in the Jewish encyclopedia, they make great pains to point out that there were a lot of strains of Judaism at the time that were heavily messianic in this period. Mm-hmm. Um, so... They say it was likely just originally some discussion about like Messianic Judaism and about how that will be just one of the tests of Judaism Hmm. at the time. Um, However, there are some very specific details in the text that make it very obviously about Christ in a certain way. You think? Well, I mean, so, yeah, I read that that was a theory that it might be about Jesus and that in that case, it might have been added later. Right. Perhaps by these Bogomillions of whom you speak. Mm hmm. Um, the big example is when Azazel kisses the man on the cheek, mm-hmm. which is what Judas Iscariot does. Yes. And like people think that that's like the, the unifying thing that makes hmm. it point to Jesus. Hmm. It, it's a very interesting idea of Jesus, though, because you think if Christians were later adding stuff to the text, they would make it more clear that. That Jesus is good. Jesus is divine, at yeah. least, because this is a version of, of Jesus or this like Messiah figure who is not divine at all. He's yeah. just a guy. Who's like false. Yeah, who's false. Or at least it's at least that's what it seems like to me when I read this text that you get punished for worshiping him and like the devil worships him. So like right. obviously he's bad. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I think I think it was probably based on what I read. It seems like it was probably a more generic comment, idea of a comment on messianic stuff and about how that could potentially be a test for Jews at the time. I mean, the kiss doesn't have to be Judas because like. The reason that Judas kissed him is because that was the traditional greeting. So it could be, it's just like, oh, yeah, that Azazel greets him. I don't know. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. I will say that G.H. Box, mm-hmm. the lecturer. Gohan, Gohan Sebastian Box. <laughs> that I read. Box. The hundred-year-old lecturer that I read uh, says that it's clearly Jesus. But he is, of course, writing for the Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, so possibly, he has a vested interest. Possibly a little He's got bias. that Christian money. He also... Uh, this is a side note, but he also referred to our favorite big Bible boy, M.R. James, mm-hmm. you know, who who we've used his translations in the past. He did like the big translations of a bunch of uh, Apocrypha. And he refers to him as Dr. M.R. James. And so it looks like Dr. Mr. James. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's Dr. Mr. James to you. <laughs> so even though this is called the Apocalypse of Abraham, mm-hmm. only a small portion of the text is really what you would consider the Apocalypse Right. Do you mean end of the world or do you mean revelation? Like the revelation. It's like half. It's the second half. Yeah. So the Jewish Encyclopedia and some other sources that I read sort of break it down into three big sections. There's like the legend of Abraham, you know, about how he began to question his father's idolatry and and come into contact with God. It's like the first third or so. Yeah. Then there's the actual apocalypse and revelation. And then there's probably some extra stuff about messianic this, discussions this or maybe questionably Jesus type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some stuff that might have that that is 
very plausibly added later. And they try to square that with, like you were talking about earlier, this document that everybody was talking about at the time, that specifically the Sethian, Sethian Gnostics discussed a lot, which was another book called The Apocalypse of Abraham. And that's a different one. They think it's a different book. Okay. They think it's a completely different book. But that confusion may have led to later like Gnostic and dualist people glomming a bunch of crap together and like assembling... Look, what is the Bible if not glomming a bunch of crap together? Yeah, yeah. So it's a really interesting story that like the fact that there could be this famous Gnostic text that nobody has anymore. But then there's also this probably Jewish text from, I don't know. Around 180. A reasonably close to the heyday of the Gnostics. And they just sort of conflated them and then like added just a touch of weirdness here and a touch of weirdness there to their translations. And that's how you sort of end up with this thing. Hmm. That's that's a theory about how this thing might have come together. Not necessarily confusion about which source it is, but like really making it trying to make it feel more like this missing source that everybody thought was so heretical and so dangerous that hmm. it was completely destroyed. Interesting. Shall we riggedy riggedy rate this book? Yes, as long as you never, ever say it like that. <laughs> I have respect for our listeners and respect for you. So do me the <laughs> Why kindness. Why are you bringing me this bullshit? I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Nico, how would you rate this book? I think I'm going to give it four out of five flimsy idols. Okay. <laughs> I was going to give it six out of nine top-heavy idols. Oh, no. What, uh, what is your reasoning here? Uh, you know, I enjoyed it. It was quite goofy. But the way in which the text has survived has a surprising amount of, like, narrative through line, Mm -hmm. you know? It's a very interesting story. It takes it from the very local, like, him dealing with his father's idols and starting to gradually questioning them to the extremely global, you know? Like, the, the scope of it blows up so big to the point where he can, he's, like, being shown all of Jewish history. history. Like, the fate of history, yeah. So I think that's pretty wild in a text. Yeah, Um, that is. And it... Even though it feels a little cobbled together in some places, it overall... It's pretty coherent. It, yeah, it mains, maintains a decent or amount cohesive. of co- cohesive or coherence. Yeah, mostly due to his, like, Abraham's, like, questioning nature at the center of it. At the very beginning, he's asking questions like, why isn't... If these are gods, why isn't my dad a god? Because he built them and they fall apart and he fixes them to the point where he's asking actual god about, like, why, do you why there's evil, evil in the world. You know? yeah. And he asks, like I said earlier... Pretty much just good questions. Yeah. And he doesn't get great answers, but that's not really the character's fault. Yeah, I, th- I found, you know, I found the revelation part a little confusing and nonsensical. And, right. But it's um, kind of supposed to be that way, right? I guess. I'm not sure. But I, I really, really liked, I enjoyed him just being like, these idols keep falling over. <laughs> I don't think they're that powerful. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, like I don't know why like, I would worship something that could be broken by a spooked that, camel. You, you know? truly know how to cook a fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, overall, uh, I liked it. And the, the sort of meta story around its, you know, how it was put together and the, and the Bogomilists and stuff like that. That's great. That's great weirdness. That is. Uh, and ancient mystical strange stories, if you ask me. I didn't. I'm pretty sure you did. Nope. About two and a half minutes ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Fine. You got me. Whatever. <laughs> uh, we have a pretty meaty mailbag. Should we get into that? Yes. Let's crank that tank, baby. Okay. So we got a very sweet email from a nasty fig boy named Gabriel, who's in Bristol in the UK. Gabriel, thank you so much for your email. However, you and your boyfriend are fired. Our listener Fred wrote in with a link to information about the real life famous Amos the Cookie Man who not only started a chocolate chip cookie company, but also signed Simon and Garfunkel as a talent agent and did PSAs about ending illiteracy? Man, what a legend. Good for him. Uh, Listener Chad wrote in with two Wheaton Terriers to bless, named Burl Ives and Stevie Nicks. Love it. (laughs) Just, you know, the classic pair. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. Uh, Here's a blessing for them. Unless you're from the UK. (laughs) True. I will announce to you guarded things, and you will see great things which you have not seen, because you desired to search for me, and I called you my beloved. Our listener Tanya sent us a cat to curse named Griffin, 
who is a loud orange boy who sits all weird like a human. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. And listener Robin also sent us a cat to curse named Lilu Multipass. Lilu probably thinks chicken good. I don't doubt it. <laughs> who worships the false idol of the treat bag and dishonors her father and mother by biting their toes when they're asleep. So here's a curse. Shame on you, Griffin and Lilu, for Abraham's portion is in heaven and yours is on the earth, for you have selected here and become enamored of the dwelling place of your blemish. And that will be all for this week's Sunday School Dropouts. If you want to email us, we are at contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. That's dot .lol, not dot .com. Dot .com is where Azazel holds dominion, and it's fun, but you can't go there. The dwelling place of his blemish. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at SunSchoolDrop. If you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled with an A, like Apocalypse of Abraham. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Nico Bakulich, N-I-K-O-B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H. We would super, super, super appreciate it if you would perhaps review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You could be like Rel's PhD, who gave us five out of five unblemished male goat votive offerings. I remember when I gave my first unblemished male goat votive offering. You could be like C.W.W. Connor, who gave us 37 out of 37 biblical murder bears. B.S. Pang said we should put the protest in Protestant and the cat in Catholic. Uh, Rene Nuteta said we hit just the right tone. And Fred, the same Fred who wrote in, said we're great for Bible scholars and newbies alike, which is a powerful compliment. Damn. Because I think we're probably okay for both and possibly for neither. <laughs> we are worthless. And please turn this podcast off now. But not before I thank Nico for his music, sound engineering, and editing skills on this Cast. You're very welcome, baby. We also want to thank, as always, Elise Carlton for our logo and art. We'll be back in two weeks with more Sunday School Dropouts. As always, we love you very much. My name is Nico. I'm Lauren. And we'll see you on Sunday. See you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.